0: Welcome to the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene podcast. Today we have an incredible guest with us, Deepta Satish. She is a member of the steering committee of Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene and her work ranges just really, really cool of really cool diversity of different projects. Um, so welcome, Deepta. Thanks, Kate. Um, I think this is uh,
1: this is kind of exciting for me because I've never really Talked about plants um, too much, but it's sort of been part of you know who I am, what I do, and where I am, and where I'm from. I think I suppose I'd like to start perhaps by introducing myself um, with by saying that I'm trained as an architect and planner. Um, and really focusing primarily on environmental issues um, and environmental conflicts. Um, thinking about you know nature culture uh, synchronicities actually, and how do we sort of achieve those synchronicities uh, rather than thinking about divides and then trying to solve the problem of the divide. Um, so really trying to find what works and to sort of think about how that how those things are framed. I'm also a dancer and um, dabbled in some equestrian sports um, and currently learning the cello Um, and I'm hoping somewhere along the line all of these things will intertwine with my art and design practices. I grew up in Malaysia, born in India, grew up in Malaysia, um, spent all my childhood there um, which is you know equatorial rainforest environment, rains every day Um, And then I went to Manipal in India, which is also another warm, humid coastal place. Um, And then uh, after my undergraduate, I I actually studied in the United States um, in Philadelphia, um, did my master's there in city planning. um, And uh, interestingly, it is also kind of a wet place. Uh, So I think water has sort of been following me all over. And now it's sort of asking me to return to places that are wet um, I also lived in Boston, worked there on um, some really large scale master planning projects in mostly in China. Um, and uh, beca- I think because of my Malaysian um, heritage of some kind, um, I'm, I was able to connect really well with the Chinese culture um, and sort of was able to respond to even design thinking in that, in, in those projects. Um, Somewhere down the line I actually uh, in 2005 I moved to India. Um, I think I needed a little bit more of uh, surprises in my life, um, a less systematic um, or let's say less systematized world um, and uh, also returning to some warmth and I've been here since then. I've been working on projects at the Sushiti Manipal Institute of Art Design and Technology. I run a center there and I teach. I teach students to learn about the environment through their own lenses, through their own ways of seeing. Um, and prim- most of my work is currently in the Western Ghats of India, mostly in the southwestern Ghats, uh, south of Goa, um, looking at nature culture conflicts and how to sort of think about um, reimagining the landscape uh, through wet ontologies, which is my, which is the framing of most of my research now. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of a long introduction, but
0: <laughs> yes, that's, that's great. So a quick follow-up, um, what is wet ontologies? The first time that I heard you talk about it, I was just fascinated by, um, the idea of wet ontology, um, would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit what, what that is?
1: Um, Web ontology is, is actually um, I think a term that was maybe not coined but used in academic um, in academic speak by um, a couple of scholars in the UK um, That would be um, Steinberg and Peters, um, Kimberly Peters and uh, Philip Steinberg, who actually talk about water as um, as being as not being necessarily H2O, but really having its own character, having its you know, there's the way it moves Um, the way it transcends space and time, um, sort of thinking about oceans, really. Um, But prior to me uh, being introduced to the term wet ontologies, I was already working in very wet places. Um, um, Also, some of my thinking about privileging the notion of wetness, which I'll come to, um, really got highlighted by, I think, the intersection of uh, when I was in Philadelphia, I, um, I met two wonderful, wonderful um, scholars and practitioners, or uh, they call themselves design activists, um, which is uh, the late Anuradha Mathur and uh, Dilip Dakuna. And they've been working as planners and landscape architects on how to uh, how to begin with a certain sense of uh, including and accepting and beginning with the notion of a gradient of wetness, that nothing is ever dry. Um, everything is either least wet and moves all, you know, could be anything between least wet and most wet. Um, And then how do we include water and watery things in our everyday lives, as well as our designs and policies. Um, But also the intersection of that with um, where I grew up, Um, you know, Malaysia and even Manipal, where I studied, is very, very wet. There is monsoon. It would rain every day. Um, Water was part of everything. We would get wet all the time. So I think those kind of intersections sort of made me realize Um, how important it is actually and is part of everyday life. But today, when we think about the world and we design and make policies, we're always taking water away from our environment. We build homes that drain water away and out. We use materials that are dried all the time. We also, um, you know, uh, we also think that water is... um, uh, somewhere else and not even in the atmosphere. Um, you know, we talk about humidity, but we don't consider that it is actually it, it is wet. Our bodies are 70% or 75% water. Um, you know, we, we think of sweat as not a good thing, but it's actually our skin doing its work. And so, how can we start to think at, at a bodily level, but also extending all the way to a landscape level to include this notion of a wet or humid atmosphere, a wet earth? Um, and, and how water actually sort of blurs the boundaries, um, between atmosphere and earth, between ourselves and our environment, uh, between ourselves and other beings, land from water, um, those kind of things. So, uh, so I work in estuarine places, I work in, um, you know, in boggy areas, um, and, and that kind of thing. And, and also I work in the monsoon. I take students out in the rain when it rains four months a year. Um, and it's just torrential. It's, um, it's you know, it, it, the technology doesn't work in that kind of humidity. So, uh, so it's quite challenging and also very intimate. Um, so to me wet ontologies is all of these things actually. <laughs>
0: That's so fascinating. How do students respond um to that level of moisture?
1: Um, well, I prepare them for it. I say <laughs> don't bring jeans because it never dries. <laughs> um, I think in that in the in that kind of environment, um you know, India is you know we in India it's always it rains a lot. um the monsoon is the bringer of um uh you know of All kinds of things. Um, It's a change of season. Things start growing faster. Um, There is, I mean, life actually begins with the monsoon. Um, And when, you know, not necessarily in today's generation, but in mine and earlier generations, we would, you know, the first summer rain or the first monsoon rain, we would actually run out and get wet. Um, Young people today have been much more sheltered. And so one of my jobs, I think, is to expose them. To the realities of nature and natural forces. Um, it's not like I'm taking them into a tornado or a cyclone or something, but it's just this, you know, um, this incessant rain or drizzle or mist that they sort of experience. Um, and they can't ignore it when they're in it. So they have to include it in their research. Um, it's just inescapable. So it becomes something that, um, you know, that is that drives the work, drives the research, drives their curiosities. Um, and so I help them sort of frame their thinking towards that so that um, so that everything includes that that notion of, um, of wetness of all kinds. Um, yeah. So, so some of them some of them are excited, some of them are curious. Um, I've not really had anybody who's sort of run away from it, but <laughs> but I think um, they suddenly realize are lots of aha moments thinking about, oh my God, of course water is here. Of course this is wet all the time. Or of course this changes its moisture across the year and seasons. And so it sort of, you know, makes them aware of the things that they take for granted on a daily basis, really.
0: Thinking about what you've mentioned, places you grew up in, places that you've lived, um, thinking about plants, in relation to those places what has your personal or family history been with plants
1: um it's a very interesting question because it's it's the first time i'm actually thinking about it in that way um but i have to say that i've always always been surrounded by plants growing up um and um and you know in in, in india we say in some of the language the regional languages here that you never buy a plant you always take or steal or you know it's something that you shouldn't be paying money for is is the notion or someone gives you a plant which is also good so we actually growing up in Malaysia we used to do a lot of road trips into the hills and to the forests uh, on weekends or you know um, uh, and uh, and every time my parents would see a really interesting plant they would we would just pull over hop out and um, and take a little you know cut a little piece so that we could put it in our in our home garden and we had all kinds of plants in our garden and they would thrive and we would have birds making nests in them. Um, And, uh, and we'd have even today, actually not in Malaysia, but in Bangalore, my parents' home is sort of the, the apple of the neighborhood's eye in that sense, because there's just all kinds of tropical plants, plants growing on the, growing on the house. um, And, and just it's, um, so plants has sort of been something that I've always been around um, we had a mango tree in our home that would, um, it was called, um, it was called an apple mango and that would bear fruit every season. So to me, that was something, we had banana plants in the backyard um, where our dog was buried next to that. Um, so um, so it's been, I mean, I think in Malaysia, and we, we would also have lots of orchids and, you know, um, it was part of our our home chores also to water them. Uh, water the garden, water the grass, um, and there would be little butterflies in our, in our, uh, you know, and the small little dandelions that would grow in our, in our, in our lawn. Um, so plants were sort of all over, even inside our home, we had lots of. So it wasn't something that was something that was um that was alien. It was actually something that we cared for on a daily basis, like we did each other in that sense. Um and um, and so for me, and that continues to t- till today, um, wherever I've lived, actually, um, just that the plants change because, uh, you know, I went from tropical to, to, uh, to the U.S. And there I had different kinds of plants at home. Um, I think to me, um, to me, it's, uh, you know, a home actually is devoid of plants, is sort of devoid of life. Um, and it's sort of um, it's you know it's it's alone you sort of makes it makes you feel alone or if you don't if you don't have plants so for me it's um, you know having things that are living is so important Um, and not just plants but you know I don't mind the ants that come into my home um, and the bees and um, things that fly in as well so sort of really trying to um, make sure that I'm not using my the walls and doors and windows of my home to keep things out but to really bring things in and um and enliven enliven the home in that sense so to me it's um so plants is one of the many things that create my home environment and my and the ecosystem that I learn and dwell in
0: As a member of the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene uh, Collaboration, um, what do you see your work with plants as? What is your work with plants?
1: My work actually with plants is, um, you know, I guess coming from this kind of a background um, where I guess I took plants for granted but never you know I never studied botany per se in school but just just you know as minimal as you do in high school but to me my research work has sort of led to um led to trying to rethink how we see and represent plants um, and not just plants but their collective um ecologies like forests or grasslands and uh, swamps and um and and jungles and I mean and, and there are lots of words in Indian languages actually for different kinds of places um, that that actually harbor different collections of plants, I suppose um and so uh, so a lot of my work, particularly in my doctoral research and after um, and since then has been more about thinking about um how can we um not necessarily represent, but how can we think about our relationships with plants um, without beginning with our knowledge of botany, uh, but beginning with our personal experience? Begin with our personal relationships with within our environments, whether it's our home or wherever we are, um, or out in the field. Um, how do we connect with them, or how do they connect with us, or is is there even a them and us? Um, you know, are there things are there shared values or shared um, ways of understanding. And to me, wetness and wet ontology sort of brings that together. Um, I feel um, that uh, that you know a lot of the research is I also critique um, colonial understandings or representations of plants which are very uh, based on based on drawings actually that we represent plants in two dimension. Um, there is there is a history of that uh, um, in terms of how uh, botany as a, as a as a discipline itself was, you know since it started, it began with people drawing plants and using the drawings to identify its parts. Um, so really dissecting the plant into its into its colors and qualities that we see. and it's very visual actually. Um, so the drawing sort of, um, uh, don't pay attention to the other sensorial experiences. It's only visual. Um, so for me, plants are really about touching, um, you know, squashing the leaf and smelling it and feeling it, the, feeling the texture or the sap, um, understanding, you know, um, understanding the things that live. On these plants or live in the leaves or live on the barks and grow on them. Um, and um, so really seeing a plant or a tree or its um or its collective not as things, but as places. Um, and also seeing them as mobile in a, a, in a kind of a different way, I guess, because to me, growth is movement, um, decay is movement of materials. Um, And uh, so, along with wet ontologies, movement is also a part of, um, is sort of a a much more, a part that I'm developing in my research now, much more, um, because I suppose of my dance background, but also that walking is a big practice, uh, artistic practice that I, that I, um, um, that I can't say I use it, but uh, it's something that I've developed uh, in order to understand places. Um, and embed myself or immerse myself into these places. So, um, so I think, so uh, one is the critique, where I sort of think about how it's represented, but then how do you then include the other senses? How do you, um, how do you communicate them also? So also exploring different modes of recording, uh, different, different kinds of media, um, and not just Thinking about recording from the field in terms of sound and texture and all of that, but also just writing, um, writing about experiences um, that, include, um, that include a whole uh, sensorial experience of plants. Um, so when I'm walking, for example, through um, a few months ago, we went up to Kudremok, which is in the Western Ghats, one of the higher peaks, and um, uh, we went through a forest which uh, had a which, which was the entire forest was just buttress roots, you know, trees with buttress roots. And um, they are particular to that landscape and they're swampy trees, actually. And, um, and it was just amazing because it felt so magical because it was this ancient landscape. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, writing about the experience of walking in that landscape and, um, and the this, this senses um, not just about plants and their proximity, but also the humidity that plants hold uh, that they sort of hold in the atmosphere. Um, these are and they're cloud forests. So to me, water and plants are so intertwined um, in these landscapes. So um, um, I also feel that uh, that a lot of the research um, is, Um, It's really practice, practice based research. So it is about immersing oneself first before thinking about writing before thinking about critique um, by just being an explorer, I guess, being human and an explorer first before being, um, being an academic or a scholar or anything else in that sense. Um, So um, and the reason for that is also that most of most researchers, or maybe I shouldn't generalize, but um, at least in the field of environment, when, when we're talking about conservation, or even designers, uh, which is the background I come from, uh, we tend to think, we tend to see ourselves or position ourselves as outside of uh, the context that we work in, and that we see from an outsider's view. So, one of my um, one of the reasons for thinking about walking as a really immersive practice is that it allows me to immerse into an environment like an inhabitant. So becoming local is um, is also part of the, um, part of learning about the landscape, learning about plants, learning about their ecologies, learning about their inhabitants, um, you know, the, the dwellers in them and on them and through them. And, um, and uh, so so how does a local see? Um, and that's a big question that I ask my students as well, uh, because uh, they're also, um, you know, these are new things for the younger, for the millennials uh, that they may not, they've, you know, they may not have thought about because of their, you know, the, the high, high intense consumption of technology that sort of separates them uh, even further away from nature um, or being in it actually.
0: In these experiences, moving through um, the world in this highly sensory way, what do you think humans can learn from plants? I think plants are um, they're not static. you know,
1: they're they're living, they're enlivened actually. And I think they speak. They, um, you know, I've, I've had encounters, um, you know, apart from, apart from all my childhood experiences of being with plants, um, it was not really something that I thought about in terms of what I could learn from them, but it just happened um, in the sense of how can, I think we can learn a sense of care, um, because uh, I think they, they take care of each other um, in, in some sense. Um Materially also because they you know they share I mean we all know that science tells us that they share information and all of that but I think you can actually see it if you start to care you can see um, and experience how um, they are connected with each other you know in in a garden or in a landscape um, they there is there is a timeliness or a seasonality of some kind to the way they behave um, and uh, they also listen. Um, They listen, they can sense um, when you're missing. And uh, even though someone else is watering, they don't grow that much. It's really interesting um, that I've had these experiences in my home. And um, I think we can learn a lot more than thinking about us. I mean, we can learn about how to actually not think necessarily like humans to some level. Of course, we can never move away from that because we are human. But um, it it allows us to see that there are other other beings that have um, maybe even more greater sophistication than ourselves to uh, to grow and care and um, and also a sense of um, to think about slowness to think about slowing down because there is this um, you know there's a sense of time uh, that plants have. That, that actually synchronizes with other kinds of forces, um, whether it's a season, whether there's monsoon, or whether it is spring. Um, you know, different places have different have different um, temporalities. Actually, it's uh, so that's a, that's a, that's something that's really fascinating. Um, another thing that I sort of think about plants is that, or or think about learning from them is um, is about how um, how interesting is that we don't really think about forests and collectives of plants as moving, but they actually do move because they drop their seeds and they propagate and they sort of spread. And then there's death also, death and decay that happens. And as that happens, they are moving at a very slow pace. Um, And so so I think thinking about all these observations, I feel like I've learned so much. and, um, and, And I think there's a lot more to think about plants as well. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's never ending because every, every plant or every, um, collection of them or ecology that they, that they sort of foster, um, teaches us new things all the time.
0: That's so true. And I think slowness is something that in talking with other plant practitioners, and it's something I've found within myself this last year. So prior to this year, I have been in Philadelphia, which is an incredible city, as you know, <laughs> from your experiences there. Um, but also very fast paced because there are a lot of people moving everywhere, doing tons of things. And I'm living now this past year in a more rural area in the Shenandoah Valley. Um and i've gotten the chance to kind of observe and participate in my very local ecosystems more and so i do a lot of sitting on the porch or in the lawn and that slowness has just really been a huge part of re-grounding you know um as i as i study plants more um It's definitely interesting, but like you said, there's still movement involved. It's just maybe a different pace and different seasons, hold different energies to kind of in paces. Um, It's, yeah, it's really interesting. In your daily life, Which plants are most present for you? How do they appear? And if applicable, um, which plants best represent your community?
1: Well, I think that's this is a much easier question than the others, because I would say it's food. (laughs) Food and drink um, in the sense that, um, you know, I wake up and the first thing I do is I make tea. And, uh, you know, I have, I've, I'm obsessed with tea. Um, I'm not a coffee drinker, but so I'm always experimenting with making, um, making a lovely chai in the morning or in the evening. And so it's actually when lots of plants come together, apart from the tea leaves themselves, there is cardamom and cinnamon and uh, pepper, um, cloves and ginger. And, um, so they all come together in my chai every morning and every evening. And, um, And, of course, through the day, um, you know, if I'm cooking and, uh, you know, the curry leaf is uh, I have I have a curry leaf plant in my little terrace garden. Um, And right now it's actually um, it's shedding its uh, lower leaves and sprouting out new new uh, twigs and branches and leaves on the top upper part. So it's a a time of change and seasonal change for the curry leaf plant. Um, Turmeric is uh, an everyday plant that I engage with. I don't use the plant, but I use the turmeric, the root part of it. So it's, um, so these are things that are always, always um, on a daily basis being used, uh, being consumed. And um, and I think these, they also sort of, um, you know, the, the experience of not just making the chai or the cooking, but the whole the whole home sort of starts the smell of these spices. And um, to me that you know, that atmosphere is is part of um, what a home uh, should smell like actually. And um, yeah, so so these are, and, and of course, I'm a, I live in South India, so rice is quite a staple. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in paddy fields. I also have been going for walks in the forest nearby, which is not—it's a—it's not really a forest, a natural forest, but it's a eucalyptus and acacia plantation. Um, but um, as I walk through, um, there are other plants that sort of sprout that are that are not plantation plants but wild. Um, so these are everyday things that that I'm always encountering, um, walking through or in my kitchen, um, and I think I'm not sure about what represents i could say so yesterday actually was um yesterday was ugadi which is the new year for south india and um in in this particular festival it it actually happens the day after Amavasya, which is the day after new moon and um ugadi is for us new year we sort of celebrate new year by exchanging plant material um which we did at home yesterday with my parents and family and neighbors and what we do is we take um the neem plant um, which is which is a which is a wonderful, wonderful plant. It's medicinal, but it's um, it's very cooling as well and the summer has sort of kicked in in India and in South India. And um, the neem plant, actually the flower, the neem flower and even the plant itself is very bitter. and we mix it with uh, with jagri, which is sugar molasses that comes from sugarcane. And um, we say that we sort of wish each other uh, a bittersweet life. So we actually feed each other with a little bit of uh, jaggery and neem flowers. Um, So to me, I think that, I mean, this is just timely because it happened yesterday. So there's lots of plants that represent my community, but I think this would be um, the most uh, appropriate because it just happened yesterday.
0: That's beautiful. Um, Do you have a favorite plant?
1: I think I have too many favorite plants but if I had to choose um at the moment at the top of my head I would say um I think um an orchid orchids would be my favorite at the moment um and that would be be, probably because um you know they're epiphytes and um they sort of um they they take what they can get. They don't sort of uh, take too much. They, They hang off in, you know, they're sort of hanging from other plants or, you know, attaching themselves to other plants and trees. And find warm humid places to grow in. Um, and I think the wet ontology creeps right back in again because epiphytes sort of absorb moisture from the atmosphere to grow um, or you know you would put put you know you' just wet coal or um, or coconut shells or coconut husk um, that they will that, they, that would actually allow them to absorb the moisture um, And they're also very sensitive plants because they don't grow very well in Bangalore because Bangalore has sort of a dry, um, it has dry seasons, in the sense, not not dry, but least wet, let's say. Um, very, very harsh uh, summers, actually. So it's very hard. They're very sensitive. And to me, I think that, um, I think um, in that sense, it's sort of, um, I resonate with the orchid in that sense, that I feel the harshness when, when there's very little moisture in the air. Um, I feel it on my skin, And uh, the more moisture there is, the, the more, um, the less stressed I am, the more easygoing I am, I think as a person, but also, um, uh, also that there is the sense of, uh, connecting again, beyond, beyond the self. Um, so I've, I sort of really like orchids for that reason,
0: I guess. That's wonderful. Um, Part of the networking with plants in the Anthropocene collaboration, um, we have a few different projects or goals, I guess, that our um, network is interested in. One of them is education. And you had mentioned being the teacher, and we had discussed what humans can learn from plants. Um, but I was wondering. Which types of education do you consider yourself to participate in beyond being a teacher? Um, Do you still consider yourself a student? And what role, what do you think the role of education is in humans networking with plants? How has your own experience as a student influenced the work you do with plants? Thanks, Kate, for that question. I think it's sort
1: of, um, um, I think for me, education has been uh, two very different experiences. I think at least two very different experiences, if not more than two. One is the formal education that we get in school and college and university. The other is our life experiences, and um, to me, they've always they always were kept separate from each other growing up. Whereas um, now. The way the way I've been working is one is to try to connect those kinds of ways of thinking and worlds, um, and that the formal education tends to be about um, about content that has been created by um, uh, universal content. Let me say um, it's about universal content that has been created to be consumed and learned um, as information, uh, rather than learning by doing, learning by experience. And um, to me, as a student, uh, I studied, growing up in Malaysia, I studied uh, lots of things that had nothing to do with Malaysia. And it was only in biology class once when we went out into the field and we had a three-day trip to, it was an ecology class. It was the first time we were introduced to the word ecology um, in high school. And um, uh, and that to me was the real experience of learning, that it was out there in the rainforest, in the streams, um, you know, walking and trekking, that that the learning really happened. Um, so to me, uh, one of the things that I try to focus on um, in um, in in trying to frame what education should be. First, I think it needs to be about where you live, not about some place halfway around the world that you know nothing about and that you may never even visit in your life, but where you live or where you grew up in, um, I think education needs to be about that. And so plant education then becomes very particular to the context, to the landscape, to the climate or the weather that you live in. Um, And so if we had... Kids in, you know, uh, people living in in desert areas learning about the desert plants. Um, we would have, we would actually be, uh, pri- we would be privileging the ideas about desert. But in some places, uh, you know, policymakers are trying to say we have to green the desert. I mean, so there's this, you know, really, really, there's a lot of dissonance actually between real life experience, education, and policy making. And so to me, um, what I try to do, um, not just so for me, the, the exposing students or facilitating their learning is one um, aspect of education. The other is that education needs to not just be about giving information. It needs to be about framing the way someone learns rather than what they learn. Um, so then you can actually not see plants as separate from atmosphere, as separate from water, as separate from your house, as separate from you. But can we start to include um, and frame the way we learn that it is about an ecology, it is about an experience, and then we can bring in other things, we can bring in the disciplinary within that framework Um So, uh, so that is, that is the way in which I've sort of been working. But I also, to me, I feel like I'm always a student. Um, I'm never a teacher. Um, I only in the field um, is when really it's in the field that I come alive um, with my students, um, because I'm always curious in the field. And so we learn together we ask each other questions we say oh my god how do you think this works um how do you think that that is happening and can we watch for some time and observe and hang out here and talk while we're you know and be a part of that environment be a part of the community that's living there um and uh and so it's it's about structuring uh the learning experience uh to include Uh, learning for myself through with them rather than saying um you know this is what you should be learning and um and we're going to go back with a bunch of information which we're going to analyze and then find solutions to problems no um rather than that we sort of go in and look for how things happen um what do they allow us to see What do they connect with beyond that? So um, we're going to an estuary. We're looking at mangroves, but we're in the mangroves because we're going to be kayaking in them, and then we're going to sort of find you know communities. There are communities in some of these places that make baskets out of reeds that grow in the estuary. And so, can we talk about livelihoods? And so, one thing needs to lead to the other just through plain curiosity. Um, And so, that to me, learning is is an you know it's um. It's a lifelong thing, and um, it's uh, it's it's. I think you know rather than showing uh, what to learn, it needs to be about how.
0: Did you want to talk about any current or future projects?
1: um, Earlier on, I mentioned that uh, movement is a part of my own practice, uh, which is which sort of comes from formal dance training. But it's sort of uh, becoming much more uh, freeform in the sense that um, trying to look for uh, my own language of, uh, of of movement as I move through space and time and um, engage in places actually. And I think I had one of the most wonderful experiences um, with plants uh, when I started to sort of uh, pay more attention to thinking about developing my own movement. Uh, I guess vocabulary of movement to think about um, how to explore a place not just by walking but really sort of thinking about a much more fluid and um, uh, thinking about, uh, I guess you could say dance, but really movement art. Um, and that was so this experience was in Dartington in the UK last year and um, and uh, the experience of exploring these kind of new movements in place, and responding to a particular context that I'm in, um, I had some amazing experiences with uh, some really ancient chestnut trees, and um, and also uh, not just in Dartington, but also in in Kudremuk uh, in, in the southwestern Ghats where um, where there is the beyond the human kind of experiences uh, that that very very dark dense forests that barely ever see light, sort of um, have a lot of spiritual connections in the sense of uh, not thinking about uh, necessarily religions, but really looking at beyond the human, um, thinking about how places can can draw you towards them, can um, can communicate. And these are, these have been places with a lot of plants. So these are two kind of somewhat connected things that I'm hoping to explore more of in the future. So really thinking about um, engaging with the more than human but and also uh, developing my own practice um, in ecologies that that have plants so that I could respond to or correspond with um, the movement of um, of vegetal matter, I guess. Yeah. Thank you.
0: I can't wait to see that work. Thank you so much for joining us today, Deepta. We'll include a link to Deepta's website in case you are interested in following her incredible work. And if you want to know more about our network, feel free to visit networkingwithplants.org or email us at networking with plants at gmail.com. We hope that you can join us next time when we have another lovely chat with a plant practitioner. But for the time being, thank you again so much Deepta. This was a really lovely conversation and I look forward to seeing more of your wonderful work.
1: Thank you so much, Kate, for such a wonderful conversation. Um, It sort of made me aware of my own relationship with plants a lot more than I I was aware earlier. So thank you for this wonderful opportunity.
0: Wonderful. All right. Take good care and we'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye. The music piece is kindly offered to us by artist Mylise. Mylise is a sonic artist, immersive ecology designer, and clean energy ambassador. Merging art and technology, she creates music experiences that express the voices of plants and the other inhabitants of the earth.